Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. Okay, uh, part six of our series, Faces of Grace. Um, in life, right, uh, in life, we all come to a point where the goal is not only to take care of self, but to figure out where we fit, to figure out what's my role in the community that I'm placed, right? What's the role, what role do I play in where I find myself? Do I fit? And if we were to be honest with ourselves, at some point in our lives, predominantly from like teenage years to like adult years, and some of us even now, the question is, do I fit? Do I fit at this job? Do I fit in this church? Do I fit in this relationship? Do I fit as an Italian, as an African-American, as a Puerto Rican? Do I fit in the community where I find myself? And then it's, well, why is that a question? And the reason why that's a question is because from a natural perspective, we all get our identity from community. Okay. Now I know that's very, very generic and yeah, we get our identity from community, but let's, let's go in deeper with that. We get our identity from community, meaning we don't know who we are or what we are until we find ourselves in a group of people that affirm what we are, who we are, and the value that we plug into the community we find ourselves. Makes sense. So, for example, uh, growing up in high school, not high school, sorry, junior high school, I was known as the class clown. Now, what they didn't know was that laughter and cracking jokes was my defense mechanism because I was bullied because of how dark I was. But to them, they saw a class clown. Now what happens is they would crack a joke at me, I would overexert myself, and then they would then label me a class clown. And what would happen is that I would start to take on that personification. Even though that wasn't me, but that's what was given to me and so therefore because that's how I got their attention that's what I became so if I find myself in my community of friends and the only way that they deem me worthy enough of their attention is to assimilate myself to the label they gave me I either have to make a decision do I want to be alone Or do I want to go along with what they labeled me as and how they deem me worthy to communicate with? So in essence, I don't want to be alone. I want to be with my community. I want to fit into the group of people that I find myself with. So you know what? I'll be a class clown for you because that's what you need me to be. And I've gotten accustomed to them dealing with me in a way that they could understand they didn't understand andrew the artist they had no idea who that was they had no idea of andrew the songwriter or andrew 
the person that likes to read books and, and write plays. They had no idea who that was, but they knew Andrew the class clown. And in all of our lives, we can look at ourselves and say that the personification of who we are and who we see ourselves to be is because we got that not from ourselves, but from where we found ourselves. So we, 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 we find ourselves in a community, and I, I'm breaking this down because I want to I, I drive this home. Our value is determined by how we add value or devalue the whole. So if this individual adds value or based on what they're doing, they bring something to the whole, then that brings attention to them just as if they're devaluing the whole, that takes attention from them. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Uh, LeBron James is valuable. Why? Because there's a select group of individuals in the world that can only do what he does. The majority can't do that, right? So the Cleveland Cavaliers signed LeBron James and they know, okay, LeBron James is going to put up 30 points a night, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. He's going to sell out this entire stadium. So that means people are coming to the game to see LeBron James play. They're going to wear his jerseys. They're going to buy food at the concession stands. Not only that, but they're going to go out to eat, right, in the community. And they're not only going to bring their wallet to the game, but they're going to bring their wallet to Denny's. <laughs> I don't even know if there's a Denny's anywhere. But you get what I'm saying. Versus someone that works, let's say, at McDonald's because as a society, we deem that as common. We would devalue that person but esteem worth and value to somebody like LeBron James. Make sense? Okay. So I come into the story of Luke chapter 18, and I look at this blind man, and I say, okay, this blind man finds himself in a place where they label him what he produces out of his disability. So out of the fact that he cannot do for himself, they label him based on what he can produce from a place that's negative. He's a blind beggar. The writer doesn't even give him enough clout to give him a name. He's a beggar. And that's how he fits. Now, I can see the community of people walking past him day in, day out, and just saying, eh, that's the blind beggar. Now, when I look at him, I see myself and I go, how many times or how much of my life did people call me what I produced from a place of a disability? I had no idea that I'm dealing with father wounds. Therefore, I'm angry. So to everybody else, I'm angry Andrew. And therefore, because all I know is the label given to me by my community, I'm forced to bottleneck myself and find myself and make my home in the label 
that was placed on me by my surroundings, not the one I placed on myself. So I see this blind man, and he's just doing what's normal. And what's interesting to me is that we live in the 21st century, and we know of blind people that can sing, blind people that can play the piano, blind people that can do a thousand that can write books but it's interesting how people deal with you in an area that they're comfortable i'm not comfortable with you being someone that's angry and trying to do everything else i'm gonna deal with you in the place that you're angry and i'm gonna deal with you in the place that you're frustrated and i'm gonna deal with you in the place that you find yourself disabled why because it's easier for me to deal with that than to drag you to freedom. Isn't that funny how that happens? How for most people, it's easy for most people to look at us and deal with us in the place of our disability and not drag us to freedom. That that, that it's easier to give you what's left over in my purse than actually sit down and have a conversation with you. It's easier for me to see you begging and give you my five cents, my 10 cents, because that's your job. Your job is to beg because you have no other option in life. You have no other choice of what to do with yourself. But to have a conversation, uh, that's a bit much. Uh, It's a bit time consuming. And and the the reason why I chose this, guys, because I, I, I look at this story and I say, okay, Something so simple can be so profound in the sense of we give people our scraps. We give people, let's be real. If I have time, if I have enough money, if I can go, when, when nine times out of 10, all we need is the presence of another human. All I need is for you to, con- to lock arms with me. All I need is a conversation. All I need is someone to be next to. But instead, you give me what you think I need and not what I genuinely need. Just time. So I see this guy. And scripture says that he's a blind beggar. And so let, let's go to verse... 37 says and hearing a crowd going by he inquired what this meant and they told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and he cried out Jesus son of David have mercy on me now this is probably not the first time that a crowd has gone past him can we agree Probably not. Okay, that's the first thing I see. Second of all, why is it that it was only when the crowd was going by that he heard about Jesus? Okay, so there's plenty of stories in the Bible, in the New Testament, where there was one-on-one, or the story uh, that Pastor Rolando, myself, have preached on where we have four friends bringing somebody 
to the feet of Jesus and dropping him there. But I can only imagine for this man right here that no one took the time. Because if they did, the story would be completely different. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ, right? Everywhere we go. But it's interesting how people only find strength when they're guilty by association. That the only time that I'm going to do something is when I'm with a crew. Because the crew sees me, the crew affirms me. But when I'm by myself, no one will know my name. It's We as a people... And I know because I talked about this in our community groups. We sometimes struggle with telling people about Jesus. But what we have to understand and what we have to understand and realize is that we're not bringing people to us. We're not bringing people to ourselves. We're bringing people to someone else. We're bringing people to someone else. And the only time where and this is a challenge, right? The only time where people should hear the message of Jesus should not be when we're in a crew. When we feel comfortable because we're with our friends. But we should be able to share him day, night, weekends. Anyway, you get my point. Okay. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The first point that I want to make here, we can go to the next slide, is that grace arouses your heart to Jesus. That it arouses your heart to Jesus. Jeremiah 33 and verse 1, the context of that scripture is is God is speaking through Jeremiah to his children Israel and telling them what he's going to do. And he says, long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. With love, he's saying, I'm drawing you to myself. I'm pulling you in my direction, not from a place of wrath, not from a place of anger, not from a place of frustration, And sometimes this is hard for us to understand because we expect God to bang the gavel on us. But the truth of the matter is, he's banged the gavel on his son in your place. So all he has for you, all he has for me, all he has for us is unfailing love to draw us. And we think as a people sometimes that it has to be more than that. There has to be more steps. There has to be more things that I can do to earn his favor. It can't just be his love drawing me. It has to be my discipline that's drawing me. It has to be the do's and don'ts. It has to be the I's that I dot and the T's that I cross that draw me to him. But he's saying here that, no, 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 I'm going to draw you by love. I'm going to draw you by patience. And even for me, this was hard to grasp because I saw God like I saw my mother. Where it was, well, if I do good, he blesses me. And if I don't do good, I have to do a lot, a lot of good things to earn that blessing I thought I was going to get. That's not how he operates. 
at all. It's his love. It's his tenderness. It's his kindness that's drawing us to him. Jesus says in John 6, 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we see here that the, 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 there's kind of like the, this, this, this tug of war where it's the Father drawing you to his Son through love. The Father pushing you in the Son's direction through love. The Father pushing you to mercy, pushing you to the Son's direction. In the next verse, we're going to continue on. Luke 18, 39. And I found this interesting. And it says, And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out, All the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, what? I put myself in the story and I say, Okay. Here's Jesus, right? And the man could not have cried out to Jesus unless he heard stories about him. Can we agree? Does that make sense? Like they didn't have Instagram. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have anything that they had that we have. All they had was word of mouth. So he had to hurt. He had to have heard something at some point. And he's crying out and the people tell him to be quiet. The people tell him, to be quiet. And my next point that I want to make is grace pushes you to hold on to his power and promises and not to the perspective of people. Grace pushes us to hold on to the promises, to the power of the God that we serve and not the perspective of people in regards to how we relate to the God that we're supposed to serve. If it was up to the people, the man would not have been healed. Isn't that crazy? If it was up to the people, if it was up to the people that were following Jesus, if it was up to the people that were guilty by association, this man would not have been able to open his eyes. And how many of us have let go of the promises of God, of the power of God, of the perspective of God to hold on to the power and the perspective and promises of people. People, and we're all one community, right? But people cannot do for us what Jesus can do. People cannot do for us what Jesus can do. And sometimes as people, we put expectations on people to be our Jesus. When the truth of the matter is that only Jesus can be your Jesus. Sometimes we put on people the expectation to save me. And the expectation to love me. When the truth of the matter is, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us that none of us can fill for each other. 
that the only person that can fill that God-shaped void is the God that put that void in you for him in the first place. There's a level of connectivity in us that only God himself can fill. Only he can fill. I'm going to say it again. Only he can fill. I look at this man and he's screaming and he's crying out. And I didn't even put this in my notes. I was actually practicing my sermon before in the staircase. I was like, ooh, this is nice. Let me throw this in there. (laughs) The difference between that man and us is I believe he didn't have to be convinced that he was blind. Let's think about it. He didn't have to be convinced that he could not see. He had lived his entire life with the knowledge and understanding that my condition is the best that I will ever have for myself. And sometimes as a community, as a people that live in the Western world, we're convinced that we're not hungry when in reality we're starving. We're convinced that we're okay. And then, and, and then when it comes to Jesus, we look at Jesus and say, okay, my life is good. Let me just get Jesus now. No, that's not how it goes. Apart from Jesus, biblically, we are spiritually dead and not alive. So there is no, I'm good, but I'm just going to put a little bit of Jesus to appease my own conscience. Jesus did not come to appease our personal conscience. He came to save our souls. And this man What propels this man to scream is because he says, listen, I've heard stories of what this man can do. If this man could help me see again, I don't care what anyone says. I need to get his attention. And if we were completely revealed to the starvation that we genuinely have in our souls, we'd be screaming like him too. We'd be screaming like him too. We'd be trying to get his attention too. Why? Because our life plus Jesus is not everything. It's nothing. Because Jesus by himself is everything. And what we need is not more of ourselves, more of our jobs, more of our money, more of this, more of this, more of this. Because if we had answers, we wouldn't be asking questions. But the truth, I'm getting in my zone now. But the truth is, the reason why we don't have these answers is because we don't ask the right questions. And the reason why we don't ask the right questions is because no one told us or has not been revealed to us that we don't know. The reason why we don't ask for a plate of food is because we think we're full. And the reason why we think we're full is because no one told us, yo fam, your stomach looks full, but that's air, dog. Whew. 
There's a verse, and I'm going to continue. I got two clocks, so I feel good. Yay. <laughs> there was a verse. This is nowhere in my notes, I promise you. But, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go and be conscious of time. Is everyone familiar with that story of, like, Mary in the alabaster box? So basically what happens, long story short, is a woman comes in, and Jesus is in the room with his disciples and the Pharisees, and uh, This woman breaks open a jar of alabaster box, and the Bible says that it's like a year's wages. So let's think of like a $10,000 bottle of perfume. Expensive, right? And she pours it on the feet of Jesus, and the disciples and everyone else get so upset. And Jesus says, and I was reading this as I was like preparing and whatever. Jesus said, and it's in the Bible. You can look. Jesus says, I came into the house, and you didn't even wash my feet. Okay? But this woman has wash my feet with her tears. I came in and you didn't even anoint me, but this woman has broken open the box and anointed me from head to toe. Then Jesus said one thing that, you know how like sometimes you read something in the Bible, it's like, ooh. Okay. Jesus says, those who have been forgiven little love little. But those who have been forgiven much, love much. Okay. And as I digested, I said, wow. Is it that the reason why someone can be interpreted as forgiving little is because they don't know the depth of what they've been forgiven from? That we don't know how deep God's forgiveness goes? Or we don't know how deep our need for him is. That without him in our lives, we'd be completely somewhere far off. Some of us going completely crazy if it were not for the grace of God that's hovering over our lives day in and day out. What I genuinely believe what this man captured was a genuine acknowledgement of his utter and complete desperation for Jesus. And it was that desperation for Jesus that made him make everyone else around him completely uncomfortable. I was like, no, no, no. This is the rabbi. You come to Jesus like this. It's like, dogs, I understand that you want me to come to Jesus a certain way. But have you ever been blind before? Have you ever had... To beg people for money knowing that people are coming and going and I can't get a genuine conversation because the only time that people talk to me is they talk to me with the motive of knowing that I need their money. And in the 21st century, I can rephrase it that some of us in here being desperate for Jesus and people saying, well, just you got to come to God a certain way. It's like, no, no, no. Have you ever been molested before? Have you ever been without a father before? Have you ever seen a mother strung out on drugs before? Have you ever seen chronic depression until the point where you're cutting yourself before? Have you ever seen drinking until... I drink myself to sleep because I can't stand being in my own head. Have you seen that before? No? Then don't stop me from being desperate for Jesus.
Don't stop me from chasing him aggressively. Don't stop me from worship. Don't stop me for the complete metamorphosis of my life because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The next verse. Is everyone with me? I'm giving myself like 15 moments. I feel this, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this in my heart so much because one of the things that drew me to God desperately was watching my father leave at three when I was a kid and not having any male role model and the only male role model being like my friends. And then when I became a believer, God was the first thing to me that actually made sense. He got me and he spoke to me in a language that I could understand. And for some of us, it's not that God is withholding love. It's not that he's withholding love, but our eyes have not been open enough to the amount of love that we need. And the amount of grace that we need and the amount of forgiveness that we need and the amount of mercy that we need there is (laughs) Jesus comes on the scene not as an additive he's not an add-on he comes on the scene saying you are empty let me fill you and I dare you if you were to say well God I think I'm full Jesus will come to you with a smile and say, look again. You see that right there? I got to touch that. You see that right there? I got to feel that. You see that depression right there? I got to feel that. You see that antisocial behavior that you have and you think it's just you? No, I got to feel that. Jesus is saying to us today, understand how desperately you need me. That's it. Understand how desperately. The next verse says, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that man to be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Notice, Jesus gets right to the point. He doesn't preach to the guy. doesn't try to explain the guy's life. Jesus, okay, what do you want? Tell me, be straight. The guy says, I want to see. That's it. And that's simple, but like deep at the same time. He didn't ask, explain to me how you're the son of God. Explain to me where in the Torah. He didn't care. He spent his life blind. And for some of us, sometimes that inquisitiveness of what we think we need is not what we really need. Some of us, what stops us from coming to God is a million questions. Where if we were to be honest with ourselves, has like 0.001% of the actual stuff that's going on in our hearts. I need to know more. 
No, you need to be healed. You don't need to know more. You know enough. <laughs> what you know has gotten you to where you are. <laughs> right? What you know has gotten you to where you are. And if the questions were to be answered right now, you would filter them through the worldview that's completely messed up anyway and come out more confused. Let's get you healed first. And then we'll talk about that stuff. Let's deal with the root cause here. Right? And he says, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Didn't beat around the bush. Didn't give him a a thousand and one. Okay, you want your sight? Cool, have it. Instantly, the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw all who saw it, praise God too. Notice that the crowd at first, when the blind man was inquisitive and asked what's going on, the Bible never tells us that they were praising God. They were guilty by association because the cool guy is here. But now that they see a genuine change in somebody, the crowd changes. Their demeanor changes. Their attitude changes. Why? Because they were so used to this man being blind that now that he is not, there has to be something miraculous going on. Some, for some of us and for most of us, the link to our family salvation is our healing. The link to our co-workers being delivered and the link to our friends and our relatives and our community where we find ourselves, the link to them being set free as them seeing us get set free first. <laughs> the man, all he does is come up to Jesus and said, let me see. Jesus says, okay. He heals the guy. He doesn't even, there's no preaching, there's no set. You want healing? Cool. And now that the other people see that, now there's evidence that this God is real. And for a lot of us, the bridge between God being seen as just a concept and a theory and God being seen as real is the testimony of your life. For most people, they're like, you know what? I want to see it. If God really did something, I want to see it. Now, we can sometimes take that and the worship team can come up, right? Sometimes we take it and say, well, I'm a work in progress. Which we all are. God is, is just working on me. Which he is. But can that be a challenge that we accept? Can that be an honest challenge to say, okay, I want this person in my life to know God. But if I were to be honest, the only Bible that they've been reading are the text messages I send them. The only Bible that they've been reading is the conversation we have when we go out and we hang out. The only Bible that they've been reading is my life. What if we can go from the, the, the person with the disability and the issue to when our Bible, the Bible of our life is read that people can say that they were all praising God because of what happened with us, because of the transformation that genuinely happened in our lives. Last but not least, grace 
ignites faith. Hebrews 11, 6 says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must first believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Uh, there's, a, there's a song that I wrote. Uh, it's called Masterpiece. Hopefully you guys will hear it one day. And there's a verse where I say, you made it so simple, but we made it so complex. This Christian life, right? This Christian life that we're walking, it's simple. The people in the word, why did they follow him? One, because the miraculous was being done around him. And two, because his name ran ahead of him. That's it. That's it. We look at people like Peter. And, 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 and we look at Peter following Jesus. But if we read the scriptures, that wasn't the first interaction that Peter had with Jesus. Peter came to his house and healed. I mean, Jesus came to Peter's house and heals his mother of a fever. And then the scripture says that then later on, Jesus comes up to Peter. And the first thing that Peter says is, I'm not even worthy for you to be here. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. All of our lives are being structured in such a way where if we have not been like this man, we will be like this man. Because the only thing that draws us to Jesus is the Father's love. And the reason why the Father's love can be seen as love is because it's seen in the midst of our darkness. It's seen in the midst of our lack of love. It's seen in the midst of how much we don't have. It's seen in the midst of how much we think we don't deserve. It's seen in the midst of how much we think we're not worthy. That's where his love makes sense. That's where his love is something that we want. That's where his love is looked at as something that we need. That's where his grace is looked at as something that's not just an additive to my life or not just the cherry on the top of my Sunday, but God be the entire Sunday. Be the whole cake. <laughs> be the entire table. Completely consume every area in my life. And as the music plays, I want us all to, to close our eyes. And We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.